Homily 23, Part 2. St. John Chrysostom. Homilies on the Gospel of St. Matthew. Translated by the Reverend Sir George Prevost, M.A. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 23, Part 2. Matthew 7, 13 through 20. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, and straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And yet after this he said, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And in what he hath lately said also, he intimated the same. How then doth he here say it is straight and confined? In the first place, if thou attend, even here he points to it as very light and easy and accessible. And how, it may be said, is the narrow and confined way easy? Because it is a way and a gate. Even as also the other, though it be wide, though spacious, is also a way and a gate. And of these there is nothing permanent, but all things are passing away, both the pains and the good things of life. And not only herein is the part of virtue easy, but also by the end again it becomes yet easier. For not the passing away of our labors and toils, but also their issuing in a good end, for they end in life, is enough to console those in conflict so that both the temporary nature of our labours and the perpetuity of our crowns and the fact that the labours come first and the crowns after must prove a very great relief in our toils wherefore paul also called their affliction light not from the nature of the events but because of the mind of the combatants and the hope of the future for our light affliction saith he worketh an eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For if to sailors the waves and the seas, to soldiers their slaughters and wounds, to husbandmen the winters and the frost, to boxers the sharp blows, be light and tolerable things, all of them, for the hope of those rewards which are temporary and perishing, much more when heaven is set forth, and the unspeakable blessings, and the eternal rewards, will no one feel any of the present hardships, or if any account it even thus to be toilsome, the suspicion comes of nothing but their own remissness. See, at any rate, how he on another's side also makes it easy, commanding not to hold intercourse with the dogs, nor to give oneself over to the swine, and to beware of the false prophets, thus on all accounts causing men to feel as if in real conflict. And the very fact, too, of calling it narrow contributed very greatly towards making it easy, for it wrought on them to be vigilant. As Paul then, when he saith, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, doth so not to cast down, but to rouse up the spirits of the soldiers. 
even so he also, to shake the travellers out of their sleep, called the way rough. And not in this way only did he work upon them to be vigilant, but also by adding, that it contains likewise many to supplant them, and what is yet more grievous, they do not even attack openly, but hiding themselves, for such is the race of the false prophets. But look not to this, saith he, that it is rough and narrow, but where it ends, nor that the opposite is wide and spacious, but where it issues. And all these things he saith, thoroughly to awaken our alacrity, even as elsewhere also he said, Violent men take it by force. For whoever is in conflict, when he actually sees the judge of the list marveling at the painfulness of his efforts, is the more inspirited. Let it not then bewilder us, when many things bring up hence, to turn to our vexation. For the way is straight, and the gate narrow, but not the city. Therefore must one neither look for rest here, nor there expect any more aught that is painful. Now in saying, Few there be that find it, here again he both declares the carelessness of the generality, and instructed his hearers not to regard the felicities of the many, but the labors of the few. For the more part, saith he, so far from walking this way, do not so much as make it their choice, a thing of most extreme criminality. But we should not regard the many, nor be troubled thereat, but emulate the few, and by all means equipping ourselves, should so walk therein. For besides that it is straight, there are also many to overthrow us in the way that leads thither. Wherefore he also added, Beware of false prophets, for they will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Behold together with the dogs and swine another kind of ambush and conspiracy, far more grievous than that. For those are acknowledged and open, but these shaded over. For which cause also, while from those he commanded to hold off, these he charged men to watch with exact care, as though it were not possible to see them at the first approach. Wherefore he also said, Beware, making us more exact to discern them. Then, lest when they had heard that it was narrow and straight, that they must walk on a way opposite to the many, and must keep themselves from swine and dogs, and together with these from another more wicked kind, even this of wolves. Lest, I say, they should sink down at this multitude of vexations, having both to go away contrary to most men, and therewith again to have such anxiety about these things. He reminded them of what took place in the days of their fathers, by using the term false prophets. For then also no less did such things happen. Be not now, I pray you, troubled, so he speaks, for nothing new nor strange is to befall you, since for all truth the devil is always secretly substituting its appropriate deceit. And by the figure of false prophets 
Here I think he shadows out not the heretics, but them that are of a corrupt life, yet wear a mask of virtue, whom the generality are wont to call by the name of impostors. Wherefore he also said further, By their fruits ye shall know them. For amongst heretics one may often find actual goodness, but among those whom I was mentioning, by no means. What then, it may be said, if in these things too they counterfeit? Nay, they will be easily detected, for such is the nature of this way, in which I commanded men to walk, painful and irksome. But the hypocrite would not choose to take pains, but to make a show only. Wherefore also he is easily convicted. Thus, inasmuch as he had said, There be few that find it, he clears them out again from among those who find it not, yet vain so to do, by commanding us not to look to them that wear the masks only, but to them who in reality pursue it. But wherefore, one may say, did he not make them manifest, but set us on the search for them, that we might watch and be ever prepared for conflict, guarding against our disguised as well as against our open enemies, which kind indeed Paul also was intimating when he said that by their good words they deceive the hearts of the simple. Let us not be troubled, therefore, when we see many such even now. Nay, for this too Christ foretold from the beginning. And see his gentleness, how he said not, punish them, but be not hurt by them. Do not fall amongst them unguarded. Then that thou mightest not say, It is impossible to distinguish that sort of men. Again he states an argument from a human example, thus saying, Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but the corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now what he saith is like this. They have nothing gentle nor sweet. It is the sheep only so far as the skin, wherefore also it is easy to discern them. Unless thou shouldest have any the least doubt, he compares it to certain natural necessities, in matters which admit of no result but one, in which sense Paul also said, The carnal mind is death, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And if he states the same thing twice, it is not tautology. But lest any one should say, Though the evil tree bear evil fruit, it bears also good and makes the distinction difficult, the crop being twofold. This is not so, saith he, for it bears evil fruit only, and never can bear good, as indeed in the contrary case also. What then? Is there no such thing as a good man becoming wicked? And the contrary again takes place, and life abounds with many such examples. But Christ saith not this, that for the wicked there is no way to change, or that the good cannot fall away, but that so long as he is living in wickedness, 
he will not be able to bear good fruit, for he may indeed change to virtue, being evil, but while continuing in wickedness he will not bear good fruit. What, then, did not David, being good, bear evil fruit? Not continuing good, but being changed, since undoubtedly, had he remained always what he was, he would not have brought forth such fruit. For not surely while abiding in the habit of virtue did he commit what he committed. Now by these words he was also stopping the mouths of those who speak evil at random, and putting a bridle on the lips of all calumniators. I mean, whereas many suspect the good by reason of the bad, he by this saying hath deprived them of all excuse. For thou canst not say, I am deceived and beguiled, since I have given thee exactly this way of distinguishing them by their works, having added the injunction to go to their actions, and not to confound all at random. Then, forasmuch as he had not commanded to punish, but only to beware of them, he at once both to comfort those whom they vex, and to alarm and change them, set up as a bulwark against them the punishment they should receive at his hands, saying, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, and cast into the fire. Then, to make the saying less grievous, he added, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them that he might not seem to introduce the threatening as his leading topic, but to be stirring up their mind in the way of admonition and counsel. Here he seems to me to be hinting at the Jews also, who were exhibiting such fruits. Wherefore also he reminded them of the sayings of John, in the very same terms delineating their punishment. For he too said the very same, making mention to them of an axe and of a tree cut down, and of unquenchable fire. And though it appear indeed to be some single punishment, the being burnt up, yet if one examine carefully, these are two punishments. For he that is burnt is also cast, of course, out of God's kingdom. And this latter punishment is more grievous than the other. Now I know indeed that many tremble only at hell but I affirm the loss of that glory to be a far greater punishment than hell. And if it be not possible to exhibit it such in words, this is nothing marvellous. For neither do we know the blessedness of those good things that we should on the other hand clearly perceive the wretchedness ensuing on being deprived of them. Since Paul is knowing these things clearly is aware that to fall from Christ's glory is more grievous than all. And this we shall know at that time, when we shall fall into the actual trial of it. But may this never be our case, O thou only begotten Son of God! Neither may we ever have any experience of this irremediable punishment. For how great an evil it is to fall from those good things, cannot indeed be accurately told. Nevertheless, as I may be able, I will labor and strive by an example to make it clear to you, though it be but in some small degree. 
let us then imagine a wondrous child having besides his virtue the dominion of the whole world and in all respects so virtuous as to be capable of bringing all men to the yearning of a father's affection what theft do you think the father of this child would not gladly suffer not to be cast out of his society and what evil small or great would he not welcome on condition of seeing and enjoying him now let us reason just so with respect to that glory also for no child be he never so virtuous is so desirable and lovely to a father as the having our portion in those good things and to depart and be with christ no doubt hell and that punishment is a thing not to be borne yet though one suppose ten thousand hells he will utter nothing like what it will be to fail of that blessed glory to be hated of christ to hear i know you not to be accused for not feeding him when he saw him and hungered yea better surely to endure a thousand thunderbolts than to see that face of mildness turning away from us and that eye of peace not enduring to look upon us for if he while i was an enemy and hating him and turning from him did in such wise follow after me as not to spare even himself but to give himself up unto death when after all this i do not vouchsafe to him so much as a loaf in his hunger with what kind of eyes shall i ever again behold him but mark even here his gentleness in that he doth not at all speak of his benefits nor say thou hast despised him that hath done thee so much good neither doth he say me who brought thee from that which is not into being who breathed into thee a soul and set thee over all things on earth who for thy sake made earth and heaven and sea and air and all things that are who had been dishonoured by thee he accounted of less honour than the devil and did not even so withdraw himself but had innumerable thoughts for thee after it all who chose to become a slave who was beaten with rods and spit upon who was slain who died the most shameful death who also on high makes intercession for thee who freely gives thee his spirit who vouchsafes to thee a kingdom who makes thee such promises whose will it is to be unto thee head and bridegroom and garment and house and root and meat and drink and shepherd and king and who had taken thee to be brother and heir in joint heir with himself who hath brought thee out of darkness into the dominion of light these things i say and more than these he might speak of but he mentions none of these but what only the sin itself even here he shows his love and indicates the yearning which he hath toward thee not saying depart into the fire prepared for you but prepared for the devil and before he tells them what wrongs they had done 
and neither so doth he endure to mention all, but a few. And before these he calls the other sort, those who have done well, to signify from this too that he is blaming them justly. What amount of punishment then is so grievous as these words? For if any one seeing but a man who was his benefactor and hungered, would not neglect him, or if he should neglect him, being abraded with it, would choose rather to sink into the earth than to hear of it in the presence of two or three friends. What will be our feelings on hearing these words in the presence of the whole world? Such as he would not say even then, were he not earnestly accounting for his own doings. For that not to upbraid did he bring these things forward, but in self-defense and for the sake of showing that not without ground nor at random was he saying, Depart from me. This is evident from his unspeakable benefits. For if he had been minded to abrade, he would have brought forward all these. But now he mentions only what treatment he had received. Let us therefore, beloved, fear the hearing these words. Life is not a plaything, or rather, our present life is a plaything, but the things to come are not such. Or perchance our life is not a plaything only, but even worse than this. For it ends not in laughter, but rather brings exceeding damage on them who are not minded to order their own ways strictly. For what I pray thee is the difference between children who are playing at building houses and us when we are building our fine houses. What again between them making out their dinners, and us in our delicate fare? None, but just that we do it at the risk of being punished. And if we do not yet quite perceive the poverty of what is going on, no wonder, for we are not yet become men. But when we are become so, we shall know that all these things are childish. For so those other things too, as we grow to manhood, we laugh to scorn. But when we are children, we account them to be worth anxiety. And while we are gathering together potsherds and mire, we think no less of ourselves than they who are erecting their great circuits of walls. Nevertheless, they straightway perish and fall down, and not even when standing can they be of any use to us as indeed neither can those fine houses. For the citizen of heaven they cannot receive, neither can he bear to abide in them, who hath his country above. But as we throw down these with our feet, so he too those by his high spirit. And as we laugh at the children, weeping at that overthrow, even so these also, when we are bewailing it all, do not laugh only, but weep also, because both their bowels are compassionate, and great is the mischief thence arising. Let us therefore become men. How long are we to crawl on the earth, priding ourselves on stones and stocks? How long are we to play, and would we played only? But now we even betray our own salvation, and as children, when they neglect their learning, and practice themselves in these things at their leisure, suffer very severe blows. Even so we too, 
spending all our diligence herein, and having then our spiritual lessons required of us in our works, and not being able to produce them, shall have to pay the utmost penalty. For there is none to deliver us, though he be father, brother, what you will. But while these things shall all pass away, the torment ensuing upon them remains immortal and unceasing, which sort of thing indeed takes place with respect to the children as well, their father destroying their childish toys altogether for their idleness, and causing them to weep incessantly. And to convince thee that these things are such, let us bring before us wealth, that which more than anything seems to be worthy of our pains, and let us set against it a virtue of the soul, which soever thou wilt, and then shalt thou see most clearly the vileness thereof. Let us, I say, suppose there are two men, and I do not now speak of injuriousness, but as yet of honest wealth. And of these two, let the one get together money, and sail on the sea, and till the land, and find many other ways of merchandise, although I know not quite whether so doing he can make honest gains. Nevertheless let it be so, and let it be granted that his gains are gotten with honesty, that he buys fields, and slaves, and all such things, and suppose no injustice connected therewith. But let the other one, possessing as much, sell fields, sell houses, and vessels of gold and silver, and give to the poor. Let him supply the necessitous, heal the sick, free such as are in straits. Some let him deliver from bonds. Others let him release that are in mines. These let him bring back from the noose. Those who are captives let him rescue from their punishment. Of whose side then would you be? And we have not as yet spoken of the future, but as yet of what is here. Of whose part then would ye be? His that is gathering gold, or his that is doing away with calamities? With him that is purchasing fields, or him who is making himself a harbor of refuge for the human race? Him that is clothed with much gold, or him that is crowned with innumerable blessings? Is not the one like some angel come down from heaven, for the amendment of the rest of mankind? but the other not so much as like a man, but like some little child that is gathering all together vainly and at random. But if to get money honestly be thus absurd and of extreme madness, when not even the honesty is there, how can such a man choose but be more wretched than any? I say, if the absurdity be so great, when hell is added thereto, and the loss of the kingdom, how great wailings are due to him, both living and dead. Or wilt thou that we take in hand some other part also of virtue? Let us then introduce again another man, who is in power, commanding all, invested with great dignity, having a gorgeous herald, and girdle, and lictors, and a large company of attendants. Doth not this seem great, and me to be called happy? Well, then, against this man again let us set another, 
him that is patient of injuries, and meek, and lowly, and long-suffering. And let this last be despitefully used, be beaten, and let him bear it quietly, and bless them that are doing such things. Now which is the one to be admired, I pray thee? He that is puffed up and inflamed, or he that is self-subdued? Is not the one again like the powers above, that are so free from passion, but the other like a blown bladder, or a man who hath the dropsy, and great inflammation? The one like a spiritual physician, the other a ridiculous child that is puffing out his cheeks. For why dost thou pride thyself, O man? Because thou art born on high in a chariot? Because a yoke of mules is drawing thee? But what is this? Why, this one may see befalling mere logs of wood and stones. Is it that thou art clothed with beautiful garments? But look at him that is clad with virtue for garments, and thou wilt see thyself to be like withering hay, but him like a tree that bears marvellous fruit, and affords much delight to the beholders. For thou art bearing about food for worms and moths, who, if they should set upon thee, will quickly strip thee bare of this adorning. For truly garments and gold and silver are the one, the spinning of worms, the other earth and dust, and again become earth and nothing more. But he that is clothed with virtue hath such raiment, as not only worms cannot hurt, but not even death itself. And very naturally, for these virtues of the soul have not their origin from the earth, but are the fruit of the spirit. Wherefore neither are they subject to the mouths of worms. Nay, for these garments are woven in heaven, where is neither moth nor worm nor any other such thing. Which then is better, tell me, to be rich or to be poor, to be in power or in dishonor, in luxury or in hunger? It is quite clear. To be in honor and enjoyment and wealth. Therefore, if thou wouldst have the things, and not the names, leave the earth and what is here, and find thee a place to anchor in heaven. For what is here is a shadow, but all things there are immovable, steadfast, and beyond any assault. Let us therefore choose them with all diligent care, that we may be delivered from the turmoil of the things here, and having sailed into that calm harbour, may be found with our lading abundant, and with that unspeakable wealth of almsgiving, unto which God grant we may all attain, by the grace and love towards man of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and the might, world without end. Amen. End of Homily 23